Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Drive the Lane podcast. This is Coach Bills bringing you a solo podcast in advance of the NTT, hoping that it can somehow compare to the group podcasts we usually do with our fearless leader, Coach V. I'm sure it won't be nearly as good. We won't have as much detail, most likely. I won't. I shouldn't use we. But I figured some sort of a podcast is better than none, especially for all those teams that are in the NTT and are hoping to hear their team discussed. So let's start with Comp Region 1, I should say. Not Conference 1, Region 1, when we'll start right at the top with our number one team in the country, a fascinating team. No doubt about it. It's Ann Arbor. I think you've probably seen their history over the last few years. Won the NTT just three seasons ago in the Final Four last year. Seemingly a number one seed every single season at this point. And this year, uh, they have an especially interesting both lineup and resume. Start with the resume. They're 15-3. and three. three losses, and yet they're the number one team in the entire nation. That's because their strength of schedule is so good, number two overall. And then their margin of victory is great. They have outscored opponents by almost 20 points a game. But they're number one over two undefeated teams, Englewood, number two, and Louisville, number three. It doesn't strike me as something that would happen in real life. Uh, Ann Arbor in its schedule this year was perfect until the second time through its division in Conference 15, the much-heralded Conference 15, in which, as a uh, post from Bobby told us, uh, Ann Arbor lost all three games, including by 30 points to Nashville in the first game of that, of that stretch, uh, and then by six to Lansing and five to Jefferson City. So to lose three games in a row and stay at number one is really pretty remarkable. I don't think I've, any, I've seen anything like it. And yet, on talent, it makes total sense because this team is unbelievable in terms of what it has assembled. This is a team that has the 2-2 senior class led by Joshua Henley and Andrew Tucker down low. Tucker having an, uh, just an unreal season that we can get into in a moment, but those two have been anchoring the middle for Ann Arbor for you know, seemingly 25 seasons, really. It's just four. Uh, they've got a sophomore star point guard in Michael Doherty, a senior stalwart shooting guard in Christian Armstrong, excuse me, but there's also the 1-1 freshman class that is peppered in there. Only one of those guys is starting right now. It's Eric Frick, who is the leading scorer for the team with almost 29 points a game at small forward. Uh, Then they've got two other extremely talented big guys on the bench, I think after experimenting early on with some starting roles for them and discovering that apparently you can have too much size with a 6'10 shooting guard. I guess it wasn't ideal for them. But it's just a totally stacked team. So in that respect, it makes total sense that they are number one. But with those three losses, it is a little bit strange to see them there. Uh, Their opponent in their 116 game in Region 1 is Ocala, a team that actually is used to having number one classes itself. Unfortunately for this season's Ocala team, that class now has graduated. Last year's team featured the 2-1 Hardwood Sim Hoops senior class, all starting, small forward, power forward, center. Those guys are gone. This team managed to get into the NTT by winning the Conference 10 tournament. Three games in a row, Clearwater, Daytona, Jackson, over this past week. And kudos to them, great accomplishment. But it's very tough to see how this team can keep up with Ann Arbor in the first round. Uh, This is a team that, even with that number one class last year, got bounced in the first round of the NTT 
finished 50th on the entire tournament. Uh, has some good players coming back. Uh, senior point guard and Aaron Martin, who has had a terrific season, scoring over 23 points a game, uh, three assists, 1.6 steals. These are all per 30, but his minutes are right at 30 minutes, so those are going to be close to the per-game numbers as well. Uh, a couple other scorers in the starting lineup, and Eamon Turner at shooting guard and Jacob Bell at power forward, both averaging double figures per 30 minutes. But it's just nothing like the firepower that Ann Arbor brings to the table. So this game, I, I can't imagine, would be too close. Uh, that probably can be said about Ann Arbor against most opponents, apparently, except when they're playing a team for the second time in their own division. Uh, but I, I don't see this 116 matchup being particularly close, and I don't think I'm insulting Ocala by saying so. The 8-9 matchup here in Region 1 features Frankfurt against Cedar Rapids, and I'm going to pronounce that city name correctly uh, as opposed to the way my usual co-host does so. Uh, uh, two teams with good history in League 31. Frankfurt has been out of the NTT now for quite a while, which is surprising for me to take a look at, just because it's you know one of the most successful programs in league history. But it's actually been six seasons in a row in uh, leading up to this one in which they were sort of bouncing between the PTT and the RTT. But they're back now in the NTT, having won the conference tournament in Conference 18, and also with a power ranking of 32, likely they would have gotten in anyway, even if they had dropped a game in that conference tournament. And a a balanced lineup, uh, four guys averaging in double figures in the starting lineup, led by Vincent Schumpert, who's at 17.9 points a game at small forward, and then Diego McCoy, who's at 15.2 and also has some very nice numbers as a seven-foot center. Um, Rebounds aren't great, 8.2 but some solid defensive numbers and a nice assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, So those are the two guys, Shumpert the senior, McCoy the freshman, who stand out on the stat sheet for Frankfurt. Uh, Cedar Rapids is a team that, you know, I said when starting the preview for this matchup, has a a nice history in League 31, and that's certainly true. Lots of NTTs to Cedar Rapids' name, some great classes, but disappointing NTT finishes. Not a lot of successful NTTs for this group, at least recently. Uh, going back to season 19, they did make the title game. Uh, they were in the Elite Eight in season 25, so that's not so long ago. But it does seem like more often than not, this team will get into the NTT, uh, seduce some prognosticators, and I really just mean me, into taking them to go deep in the tournament uh, because of the talent they have, and then it, it doesn't happen. And uh, last year, this was a team that had a lot of upper-class talent, at that time, their 4-4 class was juniors. Now those guys are seniors. And they had a 21-10 hardwood senior, Sim Hoops senior class. Uh, and it didn't really happen for them. They didn't even make the NTT last year with that upper-class talent. This year, as I mentioned, the 4-4 class is seniors. They have some nice freshmen who came in and, and replenished the cupboard, uh, led by Ryan Jones. The fre- or excuse me, Jones is a senior, led by uh, Matthew Patterson and Anthony Martinez. Martinez, the center putting up some great numbers this year as a freshman at 6'9". So it's certainly a talented team, but I feel like I've just had enough of picking Cedar Rapids in the NTT. I, I, can't, I can't go with them again. They've got to prove it to me uh, before I take them. Frankfurt, as I mentioned, has been out of the NTT for a little while, but generally when they have made it, they have won a few rounds. Uh, and so I would lean toward Frankfurt uh, as the team that has, to, has the misfortune of going against Ann Arbor in round two. Moving down, we've got the 4-13 matchup. It's the Raleigh Toast against the Colorado Springs Marmots. Raleigh is not exactly a one-man show, but in some respects, it is. 
just because they've got a guy named Nicholas Bainon, who has been a super scorer for as long as we've been aware of him in the drive the lane universe. Uh, Bainon averaged 27.4 points a game in high school. And frankly, that strikes me as low. I, I thought it was going to be a little bit higher. Uh, so uh, I just remember when he was a high school player, he was putting up big numbers. He never looked like he was going to be a great player in, as, a, as a high schooler, at least overall. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that so bluntly, but you know, he didn't have the assist-to-turnover ratio. It wasn't clear what kind of defender he was going to be. He seemed kind of one-dimensional. But that one dimension has really translated to the college level. He scored 27.4 a game in high school, as I mentioned. In college, he's never been below 30 points a game. He's now a senior. Uh, as a freshman, he actually averaged over 33 points a game. That's his highest total. 31 as a sophomore, 30 and a half as a junior, and a lowly 30.0 points per game this season. I'm not sure what's happened to him, but... Uh, with that career average of 31.3 points a game, he is currently on track to finish sixth all-time in League 31 in terms of total points. And that's especially impressive because, as so many of us know, for a while it was a bit easier to have those lead scorers. Uh, you know, At some point, things changed in the way the game was managed or behind the scenes such that those one-man shows really couldn't put up quite the same amount of points that they used to be able to. So, uh, I, you know, I don't want to name names at the top of that list, but you can see they're all. There are many players who graduated in say season seventeen or season eighteen, season nineteen. That was really the golden age for great scorers. So it is especially impressive to have a guy like Bainon putting up these numbers now. Uh, and so I've talked a lot about him. I don't want to make it seem like, as I said, that Raleigh is just a one-man team. They've got other good players. Uh, you know, Elijah Brown, sophomore point guard, uh, can, can score, has 2.6 steals per game as well, uh, although playing a lot of minutes, so that number would come down if I toggled over to per 30. Uh, and, you know, this team is 15-3. and three. They're a four-seed for a reason. Uh, the resume, when you take a look at it, is a little bit up and down. Uh, they lost a game to Yuma, which we'll talk about later when we discuss this region. Um, you know, Yuma is in the top 40. They're in the NTT. Good team, but, you know, not a top four seed, right? Uh, so that makes you question Raleigh's status way up this high. Uh, they got crushed by Blacksburg, which is not in the NTT. They're a one seed in the PTT, so, you know, a solid team. But Raleigh lost that game 96-62. to 62. Uh, also lost a game to Panama City, which is number 169. On the flip side, they do have some good wins. Uh, they destroyed Decatur by 30 points. Decatur is number 41. They are in the NTT. Uh, that's a conference opponent for Raleigh. Raleigh also won a non-conference game against Huntsville, number 46 in the country, by a solid margin, 21 points. And then in preseason, had a, had a nice win over Hershey, which is number 13 in the country. And lost by only four points to Inglewood, who I mentioned earlier, is right now 18-0 and number two. Now, those are preseason games, obviously not factoring into Raleigh's power ranking right now. But, you know, if you're trying to figure out how legit this team is, you could potentially use those games as some sort of a measure. Uh, you know, overall, this team has a relatively modest scoring margin, 9.2 on the season, strength of schedule 87. So it's a good team. Not a lot of classes that jump out at you when you check out the recruits, but of course, uh, Bainon is, is woefully, sadly underranked 
by the computers. I mean, his senior class, for some reason, was ranked only number 156, 125 hardwood sim hoops. And yet, as I mentioned, he's never been below 30 points a game in a season in his entire career. So I would say the magazine screwed up on that one. So Raleigh's opponent, Colorado Springs, out of Conference 22. Uh, Colorado Springs won the conference regular season and the conference tournament. Uh, so impressive there to get the double in Conference 22. Uh, conference 22 is not the most highly ranked conference. They're 21st in the country. But still, anytime you can win both the regular season and the conference tournament, you're doing something right. And this team did something right last year as well. They made it all the way to the Elite Eight in last year's NTT, uh, coming in, finishing the season in 18 and 6, but you know, with a very nice run in the NTT. Uh, graduated a couple of senior starters from last year's team in Bryce DeWeese, the point guard, and Chad Mayberry at small forward. Um, but, you know, they've had guys step in, and it's a, it's a nice balanced lineup for them. Uh, Jorge Wright really stands out, playing power forward, scoring 17.5 points per 30 minutes. Uh, some nice assist-to-turnover ratio stats as well for him. Um, but it's a team that can get scoring from a few different places, has nice bench production as well, four different players averaging in double figures per 30 minutes off the bench. So it's it's not a team that relies on one lead scorer so much as the opponent does with Bain on, on Raleigh. Um, Colorado Springs schedule, again, a little bit up and down. Uh, they have in uh, an interesting history against Idaho Falls, which is the best team not named Colorado Springs in its conference. In fact, Idaho Falls, despite the fact that Colorado Springs won both the regular season and the conference tournament, Idaho Falls has the better power ranking, number 34 to 52 for Colorado Springs. In the three games that those teams played against each other, Colorado Springs did win two of three, but they also got blown out by 31 in the one loss. So overall, in terms of the point differential, despite the fact that Colorado Springs won two out of three games, they actually have a negative point differential in those three games against Idaho Falls. Uh, A couple of notable non-conference games for Colorado Springs, they lost to Louisville, a team that's undefeated and a number one seed, by just 10 points, so not a bad loss there. Uh, They also got beat by Pontiac, a team that we'll talk about later. They're the 11th seed in this region by 15 points. So, candidly, my assessment of this game is that neither Raleigh nor Colorado Springs appears to me to be a big threat to go too far in this tournament, in part because they would have to face Ann Arbor before too long. So, you know, part of that is just based on the matchups. Um, but I don't see either of these teams as a major threat. Uh, I do think Raleigh should be on upset alert, if only because Colorado Springs, as I mentioned, made the NTT Elite Eight just last season. Uh, and a few seasons back had a nice run in the NTT as well. Uh, so this is a team that has been there. Raleigh, by contrast, really hasn't been in the NTT. Uh, in fact, going through their history, this is only their third all-time NTT and the first since season four. Uh, so that is a long, long time ago. So congratulations to them. Great job for, for Bainon for getting them there. And he is obviously the kind of player who could carry them to a few wins. But I think this is a pretty even matchup, despite the seeds telling you that it's 4 versus 13. So the 5-12 matchup here in Region 1 pits Aurora, the Roaring Rhinos, out of Conference 21 against Baton Rouge from Conference 11. Uh, Conference 21 has a real checkered history in the NTT. I think we've discussed it almost every season. 
not a lot of overall success for Conference 21. Although, to be fair, I think that narrative is somewhat outdated. Uh, Even just looking at this Aurora team last season, uh, they won a game and then ended up finishing number 17 in the NTT, which means they lost in the second round, but won all of their consolation games after that. You know, you can debate, I suppose, how much stock to put into that, but it shows they were able to compete with and defeat teams that had made it to the NTT. Uh, so a top 20 finish, even though in real life the, <clears throat> the tournament would have been over after the second round loss, I think that's still pretty impressive and shows that you know this team obviously belonged. And I think you can at least argue that this team is comparable or maybe even better than last year's team. They, they certainly lost two good players in Tyler Smith, last year's power forward, and Carson Shoemate, who arguably was their best player playing center last year as a senior. Uh, so those two guys are out. The front court depth is not quite where it was. But Kevin McCoy has filled in very nicely as a sophomore, slightly undersized center, blocking over three shots per game at six foot eight. And the big news is the freshman Peyton Loudon has come in and stabilized the backcourt. Uh, he hasn't put up great numbers, but if you remember him as a high schooler, which I do, uh, he didn't put up great numbers then either, but the attributes suggested he was very talented. And the recruiting rankings kind of back that up. He's got one of those hardwood classes, uh, 37 hardwood, 108 sim hoops. So this is a guy who is obviously very talented, helping this team win games in a competitive Conference 21. Uh, the, as of right now, Conference 21 is the third-ranked conference in the entire nation. Uh, so Aurora is, I believe, third in the pecking order in that conference. I mean, they're, they're number 16 in the power rankings. So technically, they have the second-best power ranking behind Boise, which is 14th, and then one spot ahead of Fargo, which is 17th. But when you take a look at the schedule, you see that Fargo rather easily beat Aurora twice, uh, once by 11 and then another time by 32 points. So just looking at that, Makes me think this is the third best team out of Conference 21. But certainly a talented team, another balanced team, four four guys in the starting lineup, average in double figures, and then two more off the bench, average in double figures per 30 minutes, including Trey Matthew, a very interesting player at backup shooting guard. Not very efficient, shooting around 40%, but scoring over 20 points per 30 minutes, and uh, a great weapon at the free throw line. This is probably why you know uh, Coach M. Cook has him shooting as much as he does, even though he's rather inefficient from the field. He's at over 91% from the free throw line, and he attempts five free throws per 30 minutes, which is by far the most on the team. So this guy gets to the line, and he converts when he gets there, when he's in the game. So Aurora's opponent, Baton Rouge, the 12 seed I mentioned out of Conference 11, uh, they won the Conference 11 tournament in order to get in, Ended up with a power ranking at 48 that by itself actually would have been good enough to get an at-large bid if they had been at 48. But of course, they wouldn't have been there if they hadn't won the conference tournament. So realistically, they did have to win that tournament in order to get in. Uh, This is a team that has two anchors in the starting lineup, both in terms of scoring and really in terms of talent. Uh, They've got a point guard in Christopher Coleman who scores over 20 points per game. And then a senior, or excuse me, a center, also a senior, but a center is really what I meant to say, in Dylan Pinson, who scores over 21 points a game. Both of these guys are seniors, Coleman and Pinson. Uh, and they are by far the most productive players in the starting lineup for Baton Rouge. 
Now that's the starting lineup. There's also a player on the bench who stands way out when you take a look at the per 30 stats. And for me, even just taking a look at his name, and I'm sure if Coach V were here with me, we'd be lamenting this one. So Curtis Bramble, the backup center for Baton Rouge. I think this is worth taking a look at for anybody. Per 30 minutes, these are his numbers right now. So he's 6'8", playing backup center. Per 30 minutes, 19.3 points on 63.2% true shooting. Okay, 59% from the field. 8.6 rebounds, 2.2 assists to 0.6 turnovers, 1.2 steals, 2.3 blocks. Playing 10 minutes and 48 seconds per game. Now you might say, okay, fine, those are especially good numbers for a backup, sure. But he's able to get those numbers because he's a backup. Who knows if that kind of if that kind of production would translate to the starting lineup? Well, I'll answer that question. I am the one who knows. I know. And so would Coach V, because we both maxed this guy. He was a 4-4 tie, 5-5 tie. I suppose I can see this very easily right now and check this out. Uh, whatever he was, he should have been a yeah, he was a 5-5 tie. Unbelievable scouted attributes. Uh, his high school numbers won't absolutely blow you away, though they're still quite good. Uh, 17 points a game on over 60% true shooting, 2.4 blocks, 1.3 steals, 2.9 to 0.9 assist to turnover. Uh, so, you know, that looks like a very good player. But honestly, if you saw his attributes, you'd think he was even better than that. And I think he is. So it's it's very, very, very confusing to me why this guy is not in the starting lineup and makes me think that Coach Mingber cannot be active. Uh, I mean, I don't see how that could be the case. Um, now, I will say you can see Bramble early in the season in the first exhibition game was that backup point guard, which obviously would have been a computer set lineup. And then by the second exhibition game was that backup center. So that's a strike against my theory that this team is not being actively coached. But I cannot, for the life of me, understand why this guy would not be in the starting lineup. Particularly when you take a look at who is. Uh, it's John Wilson right now, another freshman, 6'5", playing small forward. Um, and sure enough, here's some more evidence that this team is being coached. I'm, I'm learning this live with everybody else here. Uh, Wilson has moved around. He was the backup small forward for the first four games of the season and has started at small forward ever since. But if you take a look at his numbers, I mean, they pale in comparison to Brambles. Uh, if you're into game score, he's got a 4.4 game score per 30 minutes. This is Wilson, the starting small forward. Three turnovers per 30 minutes, uh, averaging nine points a game, 0.1 steals, 0.6 blocks as a 6'5 small forward. Uh, I can't understand it. Bramble has been a backup throughout his entire career, despite I'm sure having you know terrific talent and incredible production. So <laughs> if for no other reason but spite, I'm certainly picking against this team. Maybe the plan has been to keep Bramble hidden for all this time and unleash him on some unsuspecting opponent in the first round of the NTT. Put it this way, if Bramble comes in and starts, I'm picking Baton Rouge to win this game. If he stays on the bench, I think they lose. Uh, if for no other reason, then it's just terrible karma to be wasting this guy. And I, I've got to throw this in here too, even though no one cares. Uh, <laughs> Bramble was fair minus local in conference 11. Yeah, that's right. The same conference that Baton Rouge is in. So here you go. Congratulations, Baton Rouge. You're in a tie on a guy who doesn't fit your local preference. 5-5 five, five tie. You win the tie. And then you decide to just bury this guy on the bench. I mean, seriously. Uh, I don't think you deserve a win in the NTT. We'll see if you get one. 
Okay, moving down in conference one, we'll try to keep the bitterness to a minimum as this podcast continues. Rockford, the number two seed, will take on the number 15 seed, Virginia Beach, out of conference five. Uh, let's start with Rockford. Really interesting team to take a look at. Uh, the kind of team that really tempts me to, to take them to go real deep. And I'm certainly not committing to not doing that. Um, you know, for any back, for those of you who don't know, you know, Rockford, one of the most successful programs in conference, in League 31 history since Future Star took over. Uh, they have an NTT championship to their name back in conference, or excuse me, season 18. You know, a lot of very competitive finishes. One of the, you know, a bet, one of the best programs in one of the best conferences, usually, maybe not a highly ranked conference, but a conference that usually has a lot of talent at the top and is difficult to win. Um, you know, certainly one of the best coaches we've got in League 31 is Future Star, no doubt about that. Uh, and for the past few seasons, this has been a team with good talent, but not breakthrough talent, right? Like not a team that you really think is going to go win the NTT. Uh, last year, for example, they were a five seed, lost from the first round of the NTT. Wasn't a shock. They didn't have a ton of height, you know, playing a six, eight center, um, they had they had a, a nice distributing point guard who we're going to talk about in a moment because he's still there. Uh, didn't have one real dominant player. Uh, well, this season they have the dominant player. They brought him in. He's a freshman. His name is Luke Davis. He's scoring twenty six point six points per thirty minutes, nearly sixty two percent true shooting. Great defensive numbers. Good assist to turnover ratio. I mean, this guy is one of the best players in the entire country. He's got a twenty five point nine game score. I don't know candidly where that ranks in the country right now. I'm finding it. The answer is he is fifth, 26.7. That must be per game. He's fifth in the entire country as a freshman. Uh, so he really has been terrific for them. Uh, and he complements the great, you know, complementary talent, uh, if you will, that they already had. I mentioned Jeremiah McCann, the distributing point guard. He right now is at 8.7 assists per 30 minutes in his career. He's averaging almost 10 assists per game. He averaged over 10 as a freshman, and he's been close to 10 since then. Uh, so he can really get the ball where it needs to go, and he also can score. He's got 13.9 points per 30 minutes right now. And then there's Alexander Posner, who has really improved his production from last season. He was at 15.2 points a game last season. Now, as a starting shooting guard, he's up at around 23 points per game. Uh, so he has been good. Still a team that lacks a little bit of height. Uh, Cade Powell, 6'9", playing center, two blocks a game. Looks pretty good there, but you know, certainly not elite height. Uh, and then you take a look at their schedule, and it's a little tough to assess because at first, when you look at it, you think, wow, they're 15-3, and three, and all three of their losses came to teams that are currently ranked in the top seven in the country. That makes them look great, right? They have two losses to St. Paul in their own conference. St. Paul currently is number six in the nation. And then they have a non-conference loss to New Orleans, which is number seven. So you think, wow, this team is obviously very deserving of being in the top 10, no bad losses. And all of that is true. And you can even take it a step further and compliment them for their nice non-conference win against Macon, a team we're going to talk about a moment in a moment later in this region. Uh, in game number one of the season, 98 to 83 over a team that right now is ranked number 25 in the country. But beyond that, and maybe this is kind of picking nits, 
not a lot of great quality wins for this Rockford team. Uh, they beat uh, Charlotte, which is ranked 80th right now. Other than that, no other wins in the top 100. So, you know, depending on how you slice this, you could say, great, all their losses are to teams in the top seven. Or you could say they've played four games against teams in the top 75 in the country, and they're one and three in those games, right? So neither one of those, I think, is completely, completely reflective of how good this team is. I think with the coaching they have, with the senior point guard in McCann and the star freshman in Davis, they absolutely will be a force to be reckoned with. But it's at least, to me, unclear whether this is the kind of team that can make a Final Four run, particularly when they're in the same, same region as Ann Arbor. Uh, now, their opponent, Virginia Beach, definitely deserves to be complimented, winning Conference 5 regular season title. Uh, and I should say Conference 5 with two teams in the NTT this season. That, of course, has happened before, but it's one of the weaker conferences historically. And right now they're all the way up to 25th is Conference 5 in the country out of 32 conferences. So good for Conference 5. Nice job. And Virginia Beach does have some nice talent on the roster. Every single class on the team is a consensus top 99 class. In other words, no triple-digit rankings uh, for Sim Hoops or Hardwood in any of the four classes. And the sophomores uh, are especially highly ranked, a 2-6 Hardwood Sim Hoops class, uh, led presumably by Christian Randall, the small forward, as well as, I suppose, Joel Beckman playing center, both guys uh, with game scores in the 17 range now as sophomores. Uh, so no, you know, transcendent superstar in the Luke Davis mold, uh, but those guys have been good. And there are two players who statistically have been even better for this team. Uh, D'Anthony Mujica, the point guard, freshman, uh, has 6.9 assists a game against 1.3 turnovers and is scoring 16.1 points a game. So very nice points and assist numbers for him. And then the power forward, Kenneth Hawks, has been productive as well, averaging about 19 and 10. So you take a look at the schedule for, for Virginia Beach, and again, Conference 5, not the greatest conference, although I will say I think Yonkers in this conference is a very good team uh, that's probably underranked because of the, the weakness of the conference overall. And uh, Virginia Beach managed to uh, win one game against Yonkers, lost the other two, but uh, that's a pretty solid win. Uh, they also played Macon, a team we just talked about as one that lost to Rockford, and we'll be in the 7-10 matchup that we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, and in that game, didn't go so well for Virginia Beach, making one 84-69. So even just looking at that one conference opponent, and obviously it's not really that simple, or I should say common opponent, excuse me, but still, Rockford beats Macon by 15, and Virginia Beach loses to Macon by 15. Does that mean Rockford's going to win this game by 30? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think Rockford's going to win. Uh, I think this is a very, very solid team with the kind of star that gives them a much higher ceiling than they've had in the past. So I don't see Rockford exiting here in round one. So, okay, now for the 7-10 matchup. Uh, as much previewed, we can talk about Macon, the Macon Gorillas. They're the seven seed against the 10 seed Yuma, the Yuma favorite deputy. Deputy, excuse me. Uh, congrats to them on getting into the NTT. Followed their saga a bit on the message board as Coach Cheese posted about it quite a bit. And frankly, I was happy to see them get in from a personal perspective because this team <laughs> rocked mine in the preseason. Uh, Yuma beat us by 20 points. So if Yuma had turned out not to be an NTT team, that would not have boded well for my team's chances. 
uh, although I have my, my reservations and doubts about my team for other reasons, but we don't have to get into that now. Uh, so as I say, Macon versus Yuma in this matchup, we will start with Macon, the seventh seed. Macon is a team that I frequently talk up in these NTT preview podcasts because they've had some great runs in the NTT. Uh, they were in the Elite Eight uh, back in Season 24. They made the Final Four in Season 21. Uh, another Sweet 16 appearance in Season 18. Uh, and then going way back, they had back-to-back Elite Eights in Seasons 6 and 7. But looking at that, it is a little bit sobering because I sort of think of this team as always making noise in the NTT or at least every two or three seasons making a big run. And that's not quite true. You know, it's tough to make a big run. Hardly any team is that consistent. Um, but I, I sort of think of this Macon team as a team that's always ready come tournament time and, you know, maybe frequently is underseeded because of a weaker schedule and then can surprise some teams. Uh, and so when I look at this season's Macon team, I'm sort of ready to have that reaction. Uh, they have a little bit like Rockford, they have some talent that was already here and then some star talent that came in as a freshman. In this case, it's Lester Wilson, the point guard. Uh, he has done a real nice job averaging 20 points a game and 2.6 steals per game at that point guard position, uh, along with a very solid assist-to-turnover ratio of 2.8 to 1.5. So this guy is good. He is you know, an injection of star talent on a team that had some nice balance before he got here. Uh, and then there are upperclassmen who can really score as well. Ethan Miller probably still is the best player on this team, playing power forward, averaging 21 and 10. Uh, and then Ian Roberts, averaging just about 20 points a game at shooting guard. So these guys have three legit 20-point scorers, not something you see very often, uh, as well as some good complementary players. Both The other two starters don't score, but they both average over four assists a game. Cable Black, the big small forward, and then Alexander Romero uh, at center. So I think this is a very very good team. We talked about one of their losses. They lost to Rockford. They also lost to Paducah, which is currently ranked number 22. So no bad losses for Macon. But by virtue of their schedule, no great wins either. Uh, no top 50 wins for this team because they don't have any other top 50 opponents. Their only two were Rockford and Paducah, and they lost both of those games. Uh, their best win by power ranking would be against Gainesville, uh, a team that's currently ranked number 72. Uh, and to be fair, they beat them handily both times, 93-64 in the regular season and then 99-67 in the conference tournament final in a game that Gainesville obviously had to have uh, to potentially make the NTT. Uh, so those are quality wins, despite the fact that it's not against an NTT team. To win by that much is pretty good. And then, you know, as we mentioned, Macon beat Virginia Beach too. Virginia Beach is down at number 76 in the power rankings, but an NTT team nonetheless. So that's another double-digit win over a solid team. Uh, Yuma, as we started to talk about before, was, you know, sort of, in the NTT, it seemed, for a while, and then, as has been detailed on the message board, put that status at risk recently. Uh, they started out great this season. They were 8-2, and two, uh, and then since then have lost four games in their last eight, so just 4-4 four and four over the last eight games. Uh, and in the conference tournament, had sort of a rough go of it. They had an overtime win over Flagstaff, a team that had just beaten them, the previous Friday. 
Uh, then they lost to Santa Fe, which went on to win the tournament, so no shame there. And then managed to squeak out a one-point win over a, a very solid Phoenix team uh, in the last game of the conference tournament to secure their berth. So it's not as if they've been losing games or winning, getting close wins against bad teams. And in fact, even during this recent 4-4 four and four stretch, they beat Nashville out of conference, a team that's in the NTT. Um, and, you know, their other loss, their other losses, excuse me, uh, came to Santa Fe in the regular season, Flagstaff in the regular season, as I mentioned, and then Albuquerque in the regular season, the team that won the Conference 32 regular season title. So none of those is, is really a bad loss. Um, and they don't have any bad losses from earlier in the season either, really. I mean, they lost to Ann Arbor by a big margin, but no shame there. Uh, and in, con- in the very first game of the season, they lost to a Yakima team that stumbled to an 11 and 7 finish, number 94 right now, uh, you know, 84 to 77. But Yuma also has some very quality wins on the schedule. Uh, setting aside their preseason domination of my team, uh, they also beat Raleigh, a team we talked about as the four seed in this region. They beat Hershey, a team that is number 13 in the country right now, a four seed in a different region. They beat Santa Fe in the first game against that team uh, by double digits, in fact. They blew out Phoenix the first time they played them, 75 to 51. So all of this paints a picture of a team that has a pretty high ceiling, right? Uh, can beat good teams. And so I think this is an interesting matchup. You know, on the stat sheet, Yuma really scores with its guards. Ruben Adams, senior point guard. Cameron McKinney, senior shooting guard, both averaging over 20 points a game, uh, playing good overall basketball as well, relatively efficient. And then the freshman Justin Jackson at small forward is up at 17.5 points a game. By contrast, the power forward and center for this team average a combined 8.1 points per game. Though I think Ricky Evans, the center, probably could score a little bit more in a given game. I mean, if you if you take a look at his per 30 numbers, yeah, he's at 7.8 per 30. Decent percentages. So you probably wouldn't want to count on him to get too much done in that vein. Uh, now, I will confess I haven't done enough scouting of these two teams to be able to answer this question, but it would seem this game may come down to how well Macon can defend scoring guards. Now, statistically, the answer would probably be they can do a real good job because they've got 11.4 steals per game as a team, which, and I'm going to check this, that has to be very close to the top of the entire country. Yeah, it is number one. They lead the whole country in steals. And a lot of those steals do come from the backcourt. Lester Wilson, the point guard, has 2.6 steals a game. And in fact, going to 30 minutes per 30, still 2.6. Shooting guard Ian Roberts at 1.6. This is now all going to be per 30. Small forward at 1.8. So those are some really nice steal numbers. Do those translate exactly to on-ball defense? I'm not sure. But it would suggest it could be kind of a tough matchup for Yuma if they're trying to generate all their points from the backcourt and they've got these pesky defenders to deal with. So for that reason, if no other, uh, I would tend to give Macon the edge in this matchup. But as we detailed from the schedule, Yuma can beat good teams. Macon's a good team, but you never know. So I think Macon, Macon probably pulls it out, but this could be a good one. Okay, moving down, we've got the 314 matchup. It's the Norman Tech Later Gators out of Conference 24 against the Houston Lying Squirrels from neighboring Conference 23. Both these teams won their regular season tournament, regular season championships in the conference. 
Norman went on also to win the Conference 24 tournament. Houston did not win its conference tournament. So Norman, a team that has some more balanced scoring, you go per 30 minutes, and in fact, all five starters average 10 points per 30 minutes, 10 or more points, not exactly 10. That would be even more, more notable. Uh, and then the backup backcourt can really fill it up as well. Blake Mitchell, in particular, averaging over 24 points per 30 minutes on great efficiency numbers as the backup point guard. So there's no one guy on Norman that you can key on to stop. And that's probably a big part of the reason they have just one loss. They're 17-1 and one on the season. Uh, as we mentioned, they completely took care of Conference 24, didn't lose a single game in the conference or in the conference tournament, which is impressive because Conference 24 historically has been, or I should say in recent history, has been one of the better conferences. This season they're down to 13th, but still a solid 10 games over 500 as a conference. So that's, that's no small feat to go unbeaten completely within Conference 24. Uh, the one loss for Norman came in the first week of the regular season to a Gulf Shores team that ended up as a number one seed in the PTT. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Gulf Shores may have been the first team out or last team out, depending on how you put that. Uh, you know, the very top team in the PTT. Uh, so not a bad loss, but still notable to see that it was by a 19-point margin. Gulf Shores 89, Norman 70. Still, you're sort of, you know, uh, picking nits when you've got a team that's 17-1, and one, ran through its conference, and also has a nice non-conference win, uh, destroying Fargo in the first game of the season, 108-74. to Fargo is a top-20 team right now. They're number 17, a five-seed in the NTT. So that's a pretty solid res- resume for Norman. As we said, a balanced lineup as well, a team averaging over 90 points a game. So they are hard to slow down. The team that would be trying to slow them down is Houston, the Lying Squirrels. Now, I assume that's a play on Flying Squirrels. But I am curious if it is just that or if there's any reason that Coach Vernod, that's how I usually say his name, even though the D is not here now, uh, it has been in other iterations of the name. Is there, if, if you're out there, Coach, can you explain, is, there, is that a squirrel lying down on a branch? Is it a squirrel that's not telling the truth? I would like to know. I don't know whether others would, but I'm the one talking, so I'm the one asking the question. Now, Houston's a team... Uh, that has some offensive firepower as well. Four guys in the starting lineup are averaging double figures. Uh, they have some, you know, uneven efficiency. It's not uh, a great shooting team in the starting lineup. Nobody is over 55% in true shooting. However, the backups, the backup guards, are pretty efficient. Juan Smith, the backup point guard, Samuel Holmes, the backup shooting guard, both over 60% true shooting. So when those guys get in, they can put the ball in the hoop for sure. Uh, on resume, Houston has been a little bit up and down, more down recently. Uh, in the first 14 games of the season, this team was 13-1. and one. They had only one loss at that time. Since then, they have lost three of their last four games. So they had clinched the regular season title, right? They were all set, uh, but then have lost three games to teams outside the top 100. Uh, got beat by number 174, Kansas City, 93-75, to and that was in the regular season. Then in the conference tournament, lost to number 106, Beaumont, and number 104, Laredo, both by relatively close margins. But still, those, that's not the way you want to enter the NTT. Um, earlier in the season, they did get a nice win over Albuquerque, which, as I mentioned, 
went on to win Conference 32 in the regular season. That was a double overtime win. Uh, they also beat Carbondale, a team that's not in the NTT, but you know, number 71 in the country. That's a solid non-conference win as well. Uh, but it, it's hard to look at the resume and think that Houston can compete with Norman based on that. Statistically and just eye test, I feel like it actually could happen. There's something about this Houston team that, to me, suggests it has a decent ceiling. Um, some guys can score. Uh, maybe it's because they played us very tough in the preseason. I might be totally biased, and maybe it's unreasonable. We beat them in double overtime, for what it's worth. Um, but I don't know. There's just there's something about this team that, uh, to me, suggests they could be an upset candidate. But Norman clearly has earned the benefit of the doubt in a lot of respect with everything they've been able to accomplish this season. I just... I guess I feel like Norman doesn't necessarily have the one or two guys who are total stars that are that are going to carry them through. And I feel like they are the type of team that has that head-scratching loss sometimes in the first round, right? And hopefully this will be great bulletin board material for you, for you Strat. Uh, you know, who cares what I say? I know. But just it just seems like, you know, a team like this that has run through the season, looks great, plays a team that's kind of uneven and ends up losing. It just seems like it could be a very high-scoring game, one of those, you know, 98, 92, overtime, whatever. Uh, I I wouldn't be too shocked if Houston ends up winning this one, and I hope that won't be taken as disrespect for what Norman has accomplished. It's just a a sense I get about the game. Okay, moving down to our final matchup. It's the number 6-seed Seattle Rain Dogs against the number 11-seed Pontiac Clown Babies. Seattle, of course, famously the first champion in League 31 history, won way back in Season 1, so that's pretty cool, something that no one can ever take away from them, and a team that has some talent now here in Season 31 in League 31, uh, and some talent where you want to have it too, meaning among seniors. Uh, two senior starters, part of the 845 Hardwood Sim Hoops class, so a star-laden class. Chester Wise the 6'6 small forward, and Moses Bonar, the 6'8 power forward. Don't call him Bonar. Moses Bonar, B-O-N-A-R. Two very good players. Wise, the better scorer, averaging over 22 points a game, and Bonar, maybe the better overall player, at about 13 points, almost nine rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, you know, better than a steal, better than a block per game, uh, and pretty efficient as well. So, so those guys are good, and they're complemented by another real good scorer at the shooting guard position in Cesar Herrera, averaging a cool 20 points a game himself to go along with 1.9 steals and a 4-1 to assist-to-turnover ratio. So he may actually be the best player on the team, despite the fact that the, the recruiting class rankings draw your eye to those seniors. Uh, on the season, in terms of schedule, they've only lost two games. They, in fact, started 11-0, then lost a game by one point in the non-conference to Miami, They're currently number 99 right now. And then lost the final regular season game to Yakima, 91-82. Yakima is also a top 100 team, but not by much. So overall, Seattle won its conference regular season, won the conference tournament, and unfortunately didn't, fortunately or unfortunately, didn't really get the chance to prove itself much in terms of playing highly ranked teams. And in fact, didn't play a single team in the top 90 in the power rankings. They have played four games against teams ranked 94 through 99, and they are two and two in those games. So that by itself is not a great stat, not a great sign 
for this team that you would think would be the favorite in its 6-11 matchup. But here's a spoiler. I don't think that's the case. I think this Pontiac team is better. I think they're going to win, uh, despite the fact that Seattle has that great, uh, in, you know, season one NTT championship. I'm not sure that one's going to carry over. Uh, Pontiac, one of the most talented teams in the country. Last season, I think they were the most talented team in the country by overall class rankings. This year, they're not, but they're not far behind. Uh, they now have a senior in Angelo Basenti, who is probably the best, best player in this matchup, with all due respect to Herrera, Wise, and Bonar. Certainly, for, if you're Seattle, you're happy to see your opponent have a star at power forward. You figure maybe Bonar can take him out. Uh, but I think Basenti is going to be real tough to stop. Uh, you know, he's averaging 19 points a game on crazy efficiency numbers, or at least very impressive efficiency numbers, almost 63% true shooting. He's also got 2.1 blocks, 1.3 steals, 2.2 assists to 0.6 turnovers, and nine rebounds a game at that power forward position. So he's a stud. Uh, and beyond that, it's a team that, you know, has six losses, uh, started hot, they were 8-0, Certainly have some te- some losses to teams that are not great, right? They they lost to Peoria, they lost to Dayton, they lost to Milwaukee. All teams outside of the top 140 in the power rankings. Um, but when you look at the early season part of the schedule, this is a team that beat good teams. Uh, they beat Colorado Springs, a team that's in this region by 15. They beat Aspen, number 38 in the country now. They beat Paducah, number 22 in the country now by 10 points. Uh, Later on, they beat Youngstown, a team that's in the NTT and in Pontiac's conference, by 16. So, you know, they can certainly play down to the level of their competition. And of late, they they certainly have not been great. In fact, they've lost five of their last seven, which is not a great sign, obviously. Um, or excuse me, they, they lost six of eight at one stretch. I was looking at the wrong thing. They've won two in a row now. But at one point recently, they lost six of eight from games nine through 16, 16 being the first round of the conference tournament. They lost six of eight. Uh, That is certainly notable and admittedly makes me question my proclamation that they were going to win this game because Seattle has the advantage of consistency. They, you know, they've won the conference to regular season. They won their conference tournament. I just don't know that they have the top end talent to compete with this Pontiac team. And I think Pontiac has a tendency to play up to its competition and down to its competition. So, um, and I, I also want to throw in a mention of Connor Lawhorn, who is averaging a cool 11.2 assists per game, uh, which really has to be number one in the country, and indeed it is. Uh, he's leading by a very solid margin in assists. So he's a solid player as well. Uh, it's not to suggest I don't think this game will be close. I think it likely will be, but I do think Pontiac has the edge even though they're the worst seed, if you will. So now taking a look at this region as a whole, uh, we talked a lot about Ann Arbor already. Uh, it's hard for me to see someone beating them, even though they've lost three times. Uh, so they obviously are not unbeatable. That would be the wrong thing to say, just factually. It's clearly inaccurate. Uh, but they just have so much talent. It, it's very hard to pick against them. Uh, and you go through, right, and their first-round matchup is, is against Ocala. We mentioned Ocala really doesn't have the talent to keep up. I see Frankfurt as their second-round opponent. Obviously, it could be Cedar Rapids. But those teams, too, uh, Frankfurt has a fair amount of talent. But there's really nothing on its resume to suggest that it can compete with a team like this. Um, they do have a win over Waterloo, which is in the top 20. Uh, a couple wins over Paducah, which is in the top 25. 
So it's not as if Frankfurt can't beat good teams, but Ann Arbor uh, is just, I think, on a different level. And, you know, when, when they're clicking, at least, it's hard to see how a team is going to compete with that front court. Frick at small forward, averaging over 29, or almost 29 points a game, excuse me. And then Henley and Tucker, who have been there so many times before and led this team to great heights in the NTT. I think I said at the beginning that we would talk about Tucker's season, and then I never did. So as I mentioned, Frick is averaging 28.8 points a game. He's got 1.7 blocks and 1.3 steals, and his true shooting percentage is almost 60%, okay? Well, he doesn't have the best game score on the team. That honor belongs to Andrew Tucker. Here, here are his numbers. Uh, he's got, this is all per game. He's got 13.7 points, 13.3 rebounds, 4.1 blocks, 4.6 assists against one turnover, and 1.2 steals per game. Uh, those are just insane numbers <laughs> as a center, uh, senior center. Uh, you know, I think the most I can say to criticize this team is is that because their talent is so skewed to big guys, as I mentioned earlier, they had to insert Christian Armstrong back in the starting lineup. Uh, the freshman Jimmy Henry couldn't really handle the shooting guard spot, it seems. So Armstrong is back in there. But, you know, Armstrong is a guy who has been on this team through great NTT runs in the past. They were in the Final Four last season, and he was starting. So it's not like he's really a weak link. It's just that there was a version of this team that I imagined in my head before the season started, and I imagine you know, Coach Bradley did too, a lot of imagining there, uh, that Henry was going to be in the starting lineup, and they were just going to be this unbelievable team with four guys 6'10 or taller, you know, all of whom could score and do other things. And you know, that team hasn't exactly materialized, but the team that has uh, is great. Is, is really, really good and hard to pick against. So again, going through, I, I don't see them losing to the Frankfurt Cedar Rapids winner. Uh, I think Frankfurt could give them a bit of a challenge. Uh, they do have a nice seven-footer at, at center, so you know maybe they could put up a fight. Uh, but I, I don't see that ultimately being a Frankfurt win. And candidly, I see the 4, 13, 5, 12 group as being relatively weak in this region. Uh, Raleigh, the four seed, they're fine. They have an awesome scorer in Bainon. Cool story that they, they are where they are, um, but I'm not convinced they're necessarily going to win in the first round, let alone get all the way to the Elite Eight. Um, and then Aurora and Baton Rouge are both pretty good. As I mentioned, if Baton Rouge puts Bramble in the starting lineup, things could be different, but there's just no indication that that's going to happen. I don't see that being likely based on what's happened in the season. I guess that would be the one wild card. If he came in, and supplanted John Wilson at that shoot at that small forward spot. That's a team that has some talent and maybe could make a push. Maybe would be able to upset Ann Arbor. I don't know. Even then, it would be pretty unlikely. But that's a wild card, at least, to, to follow and take a look at. But I just don't see anybody in that upper half that realistically is going to challenge Ann Arbor. Now, I think the bottom half is tougher to project. Uh, I like Rockford a lot. I think they're the safest pick as the two seed. But as I mentioned, it's not super clear to me exactly how good they are. Uh, the best thing they have going for them is I think Macon is likely to be their second-round opponent, and I may have been able to talk myself into Macon upsetting them, but for the fact that Rockford already beat Macon by 15 this season. Now, that was in Game 1. Who knows how much that means? But 
it's, it's a little hard to pick against Rockford in that rematch after the first game went the way it did. Um, but, you know, on a broader level, zooming out, I think Macon absolutely is a good enough team to win this bottom half of the region. Uh, and that, that's, I want to be clear, that's no disrespect to Yuma, who I think is a, a very good 10 seed, as I said, can beat good teams, uh, you know, might very well win that game. But Macon is, Macon is a team I have my eye on. If they could somehow get by Rockford, if they are in that second round matchup, uh, I think they could win a couple more games after that, or at least one more after that. Uh, then further down, as I said, I, I like Pontiac to upset Seattle. I think Norman should be on upset alert just because there's something about the Houston team that sticks out to me as a potential, you know, upset team. We, we see 14 and 15 seeds win in the first round every year. Maybe it'll be them. Um, Norman is a good team. They're, you know, they're going to be favored in these games. They would be. If they do, you know, take care of business against Houston, they probably should win the next game too. Uh, so they clearly are another team that could threaten to get all the way to the Elite, to the elite Eight. Um, Pontiac, maybe, uh, looking through their resume, kind of spooked me, made me think I may have been overrating them based on some of the talent they have. They've really never done it in the NTT before. I'm not exactly sure why they would start now. Uh, but overall, I, you know, I think Rockford, Macon, Norman, Pontiac are all teams I wouldn't be too surprised to see in that Elite Eight. But it's it's difficult to imagine one of them upsetting Ann Arbor. Um, I just I don't I don't really see it happening. Uh, picking a one seed to win the region is pretty boring and often wrong in the NTT. It seems, although more recently I feel like one seeds have had more success. Uh, but that's what I'm going to do here in Region One. I, I am going to take Ann Arbor. Um, if you want, if you want to force me to pick somebody on the bottom. I don't know. Um, I, I will take Rockford <laughs> to, to make it as boring as possible, one versus two. That probably won't happen. Uh, I like Macon a lot. As I said, I think if Macon hadn't lost to Rockford, I may have gone in that direction. But uh, given the coach, you know, the coaching that Rockford has and the senior point guard and the superstar freshman, uh, they're going to be real a real tough out as well. So I, I do foresee some chalk in this region, even though, as I said, I could see a 14 seed winning, I could certainly see the 13 seed winning. Um, and if, if Bramble comes in, I could see the 12 seed upsetting the five as well. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some upsets early in this region, but I think by the end, it's going to look pretty chalky. All right, that's almost an hour on region one. Uh, it's getting pretty late where I am. No guarantees that I'm going to do a podcast on any of the other regions, but I hope that y'all enjoyed this one and I'm happy to have done it.